go ahead and take a seat. If you're new with us this morning, my name is Landon, and I'm uh, one of the members of the team here with Restoration Church, and uh, it's just a, a joy to be with you this morning. As I uh, came this morning, and was just talking very briefly to a bunch of different people. I think I'm just filled with gratitude this morning and a, a sense of joy as I think about our God as a designer. Because as I, I have these conversations and I, I get to be one of the, the members on this, this team and, and one of the parts of this body that is a church, it's incredible to see how brilliant of a creator and a designer we have. Say, I think about the, the gifts that God has given to Nate that he stewards to lead us to a place of worship. That is a gift for us to receive. Whitney and Jesse and, and Jed, so many volunteers this morning, as I have conversations with people that are volunteering or just a part of this church, all with their unique set of skills, gifting, design, interests that are a gift to this church and to this world. What a, what a moment. It's just beautiful to think about what God is doing. So thank you for, for being who you are, for following Jesus. It's a joy to follow Jesus together. Uh, we're going to dive into our second week this morning in our series on Sabbath. And I've asked uh, Nate to kind of help me introduce this week. Nate and I have been talking a lot about, about Sabbath. And Sabbath is funny because I, I think... One of the, the words we use a lot here at Restoration Church is tension. Almost all of life has a tension. You can call it a balance, uh, but tension actually is, is safe. It's secure. It keeps things where they should be. Without tension, things fall far out of place. And Sabbath, I think, is, is one of the things we really struggle with the most when it comes to having a healthy tension. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with you, and I think what happens is either Sabbath has no place in your life, right? So there's not a healthy tension because God says this is a gift we need, or you grew up in, in some kind of context where Sabbath was just awful, and so in the same way, Sabbath is, is way out of balance. And so Sabbath is hard. That's why we're working on, on practicing it. I told you how last week it did not go well for me, and it's going to be a journey, but one that's worth it. So I've asked Nate to share because he had an experience a couple weeks ago. Uh, as we just think about challenges we'll face and embracing this, that I think would be really worth sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in a pretty passionate Christian home, and uh, my parents were, my father specifically was very um, uh, passionate about us celebrating Sabbath. And, um, and so uh, part of our rhythm is uh, we would go to church on Sundays and we, we, we would eat a family meal. And I think some of you maybe who grew up in the Midwest or kind of lived that, the old school Sabbath model, you go to church, eat a family meal, and then it was kind of a family day. You'd hang. And um, they took it a step further and made the rule that you couldn't leave the property line. And uh, we lived in inner city Phoenix, so our property line was not that big. And... Um, so I remember as a kid, not fully understanding, my dad has this big armchair, and um, we actually were processing, he and I, this a couple weeks ago, not Lan and I, but my father and I, talking about Sabbath and some of the impact that it had for me. And I remember um, I was pretty active in sports, and so kind of the only thing that we could really do on Sundays was in our front yard, shoot hoops on the basketball hoop. But the problem was we didn't, we didn't always keep the ball 
on our property. If you never missed, that wouldn't have been an issue. No, you would make it, and then it would hit the curb underneath it and bounce into the neighbor's yard. It was the worst ever. And so we would have to kind of peek over and see if my dad was at the window and then sprint as fast as we could, grab the ball and pull back. And a couple occasions, but one that really sticks to, um, to mind was just this moment where uh, a friend had walked up to talk, and I stepped across the crack that divided our driveway from the sidewalk just to, to talk to this friend, not thinking that it was Sabbath. And literally, I'm talking on inches off of our property. And I remember the consequence was absolutely severe. And it marked me, and it shifted the way that I looked at Sabbath. And what's interesting is that that actually became a filter in which I've actually processed. And there's, there's a lot to that story. And my dad and I, as we were processing it, you know, he was overwhelmed with emotion of like, man, I had no idea the implications of how I treated Sabbath, not recognizing that he didn't really lead us through it, that it became, uh, it was very much of like the Pharisees, right? Like he built fences to protect the day when really all children need is to be led through it. But that has been a filter for me to the point where I've actually thrown things into the trash or have been fearful of leading well in my family because of that, because I don't want to swing the pendulum too far and for my kids to feel that same way. But that's, that's not where I'm supposed to be at. And so the other couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we've been processing about Sabbath for months and months and trying to figure it out, and it has been a battle for me. I mean, a really big battle um, coming out of some of the trauma of it, but also seeing the delight and the value of it. And so this weird tension, right? And so finally, uh, we just moved here in October and we bought a house that is a bit of a project house. So I've been doing a lot of the remodeling and stuff by myself. And um, <laughs> I would kind of sometimes take like a part of a day or like a third of a day, but I would never take a full day and just starting to hit this point of burnout. So I remember coming to the weekend, I was like, all right, Emily, Emily's my wife. I'm going to take all of Monday off. I'm taking it all off. I just need, I need a day. I'm just toasted. I'm burnt. I need a day. And so, unfortunately, I don't, it, we didn't actually practice Sabbath as a family. I basically just sat around like a slouch the whole day while everybody else is wanting to play. The kids are wanting to be wild. They're wanting their bedroom done upstairs, and we've knocked out a bunch of walls and are rebuilding this whole thing. So I'm doing the drywall and the electrical and the flooring and all this stuff. And so they're just like, come on, Daddy, aren't you going to work in the room today? And I'm taking the day off. Aren't you going to? Well, my, one of my daughters, we won't name which one. She sits in the middle somewhere. Um, began to, like, poke about me being lazy and not working hard. And just, and she's got this power. And she was just joking, right, in hindsight. But I remember finally, it's like 5 o'clock, we sit down for family dinner. We're eating a meal together. And she goes, Mommy thinks you're lazy too. And Emily starts laughing. And it's all in joke and it's all in good fun. But I'm not in a healthy space and I'm burned out. And so have you ever had that moment where you literally have two opposing forces sitting on either shoulder? You know those cartoons, right? Like I literally had that moment where it was like, they're just being goofballs. You're not lazy. You're fine. The other one's like, no, you need to prove to them you're not lazy. Like, totally dramatic, like, but this real moment. And I remember a definitive moment, like, the, in that, in this, like, brief, you know, eight to ten seconds where I chose my competitive spirit instead of life. And I didn't say a single word the rest of the meal. And I finished, and I went, and I rinsed my plate, and I went up, and I busted my tail until 10, 30, 11 o'clock that night working in that room. 
But I woke up the next day wiped and exhausted, and I didn't, I didn't take a day of rest. And I'm realizing, and it's this wrestle, and as we're processing, and as my wife and I are processing this tension of Sabbath is hard. It's culturally, it's counterculture. We, some of us maybe have baggage from our past. I have a lot of trauma when I think about Sabbath, how unhealthy it was. And so working through the blessing and the gift that it is, um, how do I... How do I step into it and surrender? How do I, as a husband and a father, lead well through it with compassion and grace? Um, and uh, how do I not fall into the trap of obligation and pharisaical law, but out of, uh, out of this gift that is freely given that we get to partake of and enjoy? And so I don't know if any of you are experiencing some of that tension in battle, but get ready. We're on our way. Thank you, Nate. Man, Nate, you, you're a gift. We, uh, we debrief a lot of different things in our staff meeting on Tuesdays, and I won't be there on Tuesday. So I just want you to know, even as I was just sitting there worshiping, that was just a gift to my soul. Uh, the way you lead us in worship, the way you steward who you are and your, your story with vulnerability, with a genuineness, with a humility. It's a gift. So thank you for who you are, man. And as a disclaimer, since I did talk a little bit of trash about your basketball, Jesse and Nate have been killing me in basketball lately, me and Robert. So I have to confess that. All right, Sabbath. We have so much to talk about. I'm looking at my notes and just deciding what I'm going to do. We'll, we'll get to a point in a little bit where we talk about internal and external opposition to us embracing this practice of Sabbath. But I'll start with this. I am, again, I said it last week, but deeply convinced within my soul and core and everything in me that Sabbath is God's answer to prayer. It's his design for us for so many of the things that we long for and ask for and pray for. He's saying, I've already answered. I've already created you with a solution, and I've provided it. And then we do this thing with God. It's pretty funny where we say, hey, God, I want this, or I need this, or, or help out in this way. And then he does. He's like, I already did. And we go, yeah, but I don't want you to answer that way, God. So let's try this again. And we go, hey, God, when, when we do this prayer thing, it's going to be on my terms. And then we walk away. And let's just not let that happen as a, as a body, as a people united in our following of Jesus because he's provided something for us that is good and that we need. And so may we be a people that embrace this, this good gift of Sabbath. Last week I talked about five kind of reasons we need Sabbath, five ingredients, if you will, that make up what Sabbath is. I want to review that really quickly. We talked about how Sabbath is design. It's, it's just what God created. He said on the seventh day he rested, and then he, he set this day apart as blessed and holy, and it's a time for us. It's being human the way we were made to be, and so we can argue with God on that. You can say, hey, God, I don't like how you designed me. I'm going to do something different. God gives us that, that freedom and flexibility. It's just not going to go well, so feel free to argue with God. It's just not going to go well. Think about this for a second. I had this thought this week. So often we start our theology in Genesis 3, so if you're familiar with the, the scriptures, Genesis is the first book, and Genesis 1 and 2, we have this story of creation, and God makes this beautiful, wonderful world, and Genesis 3, sin enters the world. 
often we start our theology, our understanding of who God is, with sin. Sabbath, though, existed before sin. Sabbath was established as something good and holy and right before there was ever an issue or chaos or brokenness in this world. God said, here is Sabbath, a gift for you that is good and holy and right. And so often we long for a piece of heaven. We say, God, meet us here. What is heaven going to be like? Like Sabbath was part of it and will be a part of it. It existed before sin. That's fascinating. We also talked about Sabbath as a devoted time and specifically a 24-hour period of time. Sabbath is not meant to be three hours here and eight there and seven and then another four, and I'm not going to try to do math. So you can get to 24 throughout seven days. It doesn't work that way. It's supposed to be a 24-hour period of time. Like biologically, we have a need to take a break to disengage in the world and engage in what is good for that period of time. Sabbath is the first time that God describes something as holy. We're going to hear a lot about holy in the scriptures, but the first time that God does that is about Sabbath. And I love John Mark Comer's quote about how God doesn't have a holy place or space. He has a holy time. Think about that. Once a week, God says, here's a space that is blessed and holy a space you can enter into that will just be good. And week after week after week, we say, no thanks, God, I have a better idea. We talked about Sabbath as a gift that you need, Sabbath as a declaration of hope and good, and lastly, Sabbath as a, a software and hardware update, just like your phone needs updates periodically to protect it from viruses, to, to clean the, the processor and the memory. And if you don't do that, the phone just gets really slow and stops functioning well. A lot of us have gotten pretty slow and we've stopped functioning well. Some of us physically, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, and that's because we're arguing with God and His design. So Sabbath is something that we need personally. That's what we talked about last week. This week I'm going to shift gears. Here's what we're going to talk about. The world, your neighbor, your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your employees, or your employer, needs you to embrace Sabbath. Sabbath is actually a gift for the world. It's a, a form of evangelism. It's a gift God is going to give as you embrace it. And that's what we're going to talk about. How is Sabbath a gift for the world? Sabbath speaks to the world in two ways. One of the ways it speaks is it celebrates what is good in culture, what we should delight in, and it highlights the fact that all good things come from one source, and that is Jesus. That's the first way Sabbath speaks. It celebrates what's good in culture. The second way Sabbath speaks, two important words, it graciously opposes. Sabbath speaks by graciously opposing what is unhealthy, what is harmful, what is distorted in our culture, what is sinful, what is not in line with God's intent. 
Now, another way to think about this is the word preview. We use it a lot here as Restoration Church. We as the church exist to be a preview, a glimpse, a foretaste, just like a movie trailer. You see two to three minutes, that's a sample of what the movie's going to be like, and you go, hey, I want to see that movie. We as the church are meant to be a preview of the coming reign of Jesus as King on earth, and Sabbath is one of the best ways we can be a preview, by celebrating what is good and saying all good things come from Jesus and they will be even better one day in his kingdom. And by looking at the harmful, draining, exhausting, unjust, broken parts of culture, saying that will be no more in Jesus' kingdom. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. We read this last week. Maybe you're familiar probably, actually, with the, uh, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are actually given twice. I don't know if you knew that part in the Scriptures. The, the first five books of the Scriptures include Exodus and Deuteronomy, and these provide two different times, separate times, that the Ten Commandments are given. And there's a, a simple and subtle but significant difference, and that's what we're going to spend time looking at this morning. The first is in Exodus, Again, the second's in Deuteronomy, and here's the difference before we read them. In Exodus, the focus of Sabbath is going to be on creation, on delighting in what is good, on God as designer, on recognizing, delighting, embracing the good gifts He's given. In Deuteronomy, the focus of Sabbath is going to be to protect us from the negative influences of our culture and world. Let's go ahead and read Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a day to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy." I think oftentimes as we think about Sabbath, the first thing that we hear or take in is a list of do nots. You think, oh wow, there's a lot of different things I'm not allowed to do. Let me come up with that list to make sure I don't break the rules. That's how we process. And that's true, but there's another side of the coin, an opposite side of the coin. Sabbath has do nots, but it also has do's. The the word Sabbath in, in the Hebrew language is Shabbat, and it it's this beautiful word that means to conclude, to end, to cease, to complete, and all in one package, to celebrate. That's a powerful word, a word that can mean to stop and to celebrate simultaneously. And so on the sixth day, what God's intent is, is that we stop thinking about progress. We stop moving forward. We stop looking to what we want and what we need, and what we were going to work for, and we look back, and we enjoy what's been cultivated, what's been created, what's been manufactured, what's been partaken of. In this instance, God is coming to the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 20, they've just been saved from slavery, literal slavery, in Egypt, where they were dying and beaten and broken down. God's redeemed and rescued them from Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai, and they're about to enter what's, what's called the promised land. And God has said it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, which is just this weird way to say it is 
abounding in resources. Like, it's going to be good. You're going to have a lot to sell and make, and it's going to be a beautiful, good, wholesome land. What God's saying, if you recognize the language in Exodus, is I'm recreating this world for you. It, it will be good. It will be good. It will be good. Follow this way of life. It says, I'm going to create. I'm going to provide for you. And here's the thing. On the seventh day, yes, rest, but even more so, celebrate, enjoy, say thank you. Here's the, a simple way to think about uh, this command of Sabbath as part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus. We as Christians should simply be the most appreciative people in the world of God's good creation. We as the church should be known as the most appreciative people of what is good in the world. We should celebrate it and throw the greatest, most extravagant parties and invite the most people to them and point out the fact that all good comes from Jesus. I, I say this all the time, but we as Christians have the most to celebrate, but that is not what we're known for. I pray that one day we are a church, we are a body, we are followers of Jesus known for celebrating well. That just sounds like not a bad command for God to give us. We struggle with it, though. But may we be a people that celebrate well because we have a creator, a savior, and a sustainer who is worthy of appreciating, who is worthy of celebrating. There, there's so much darkness and, and vile and brokenness in our world. And this is just one day a week to say, yes, that's all there. We're honest about that. But on this day, we're going to acknowledge what is good. We're not going to pretend there's no bad. But on this day, we're going to acknowledge what is good, what is delightful. John Mark Comer in his uh, book, Garden City, that I, I quoted last week and will continue this week, says this. That's why Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and he is good. We are his creation. This is his world. We live under his roof. We drink his water. We eat his food. We breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. We let go. We stop ruling and subduing, and we just be. We remember our place in the universe so that we never forget there is a God, and I am not him. Rick McKinley in his book, Faith for This Moment, says it differently, but also in a profound way. He says, Sabbath is a gift given to the people of God by a gracious creator who reminds us weekly that we are not machines of production, but sons and daughters co-creating with our creator and helping humanity to flourish. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day. We need those reminders because otherwise our lives fall very out of line with a healthy tension. Sabbath speaks to the world a message that the world needs to hear, that there is hope and hope in the name of Jesus. May we be a people that let Sabbath speak through us by celebrating what is good in culture. All right, if you have a, a Bible, go ahead and turn now. Two books in the Bible to the right. The fourth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy. We're going to turn to chapter 5. The, the word Deuteronomy is actually two words combined into one. The first word means second. 
and then law. And so it's the second time that the law is given to God's people. And the reason that it's given a second time is because they didn't do a very good job of listening to it the first time. They're a lot like us. And so God provides it a second time. And as I read the, uh, the Ten Commandments again, right, second time the Ten Commandments are given, listen for what is different because it's going to sound similar at the beginning, but the end, there's a total shift and there's a specific reason. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 12 through 15. Again, listen to the difference. This time Moses is uh, writing to Israel again. A generation has passed away. The new generation is about to go into this promised land, and here's what is written. Be careful to remember. That's interesting. Not just remember the Sabbath, but this time be careful to remember because we're really bad at remembering. Be careful to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, or any of your livestock, or the foreigner who lives within your gates, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. All sounds similar so far. Here comes the change. One more remember. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. As a difference. In Exodus, Sabbath is about creation and delighting in what is good, about giving thanks to the source of all that is good. In Deuteronomy, the focus of Sabbath is to protect us from two things, the bad habits that culture instills within us and the baggage or the trauma that comes with it. God's family, God's children experienced a lot of baggage and developed a lot of bad habits or addictions while they spent 400 years in Egypt. There were some good things in Egypt, but there were a lot of negative things that got deeply instilled within their hearts and souls, so much so that that first generation in Exodus wasn't able to get it. They were so addicted and deprived and broken that they weren't ready to embrace the gifts God were given, and they had to wait until the next generation came of age. John Mark Comer separates the difference between Exodus and Deuteronomy and Sabbath's role in it, the way Sabbath speaks to our world in this way. He says that Sinai or uh, in the Exodus, the Sabbath is an art form. It's about tapping into the rhythm of creation. In Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. At Sinai or in Exodus, it's a way of saying yes to God and his world. In Deuteronomy, it is a way of saying no to Egypt and its system. At Sinai, it's an invitation to join God in his delight. In Deuteronomy, it's a warning to stay away from Egypt's way of life. Sabbath is meant to be a healer, a day of restoration, of protection, of resetting from the negative influences and impact of culture that causes us, that teaches us, that trains us to be human in ways outside of how God created us to be human, of being human the way he made us to be. So Sabbath is meant to do the same thing in the midst of our American culture. 
as the Egyptian culture. I want to read you um, this list. It's a list of symptoms that are primary indications of addiction. Symptoms that are primary indications of addiction. Just, just take this in for a second. The primary indications of addiction are uncontrollably seeking drugs or substances, uncontrollably engaging in harmful levels of habit-forming behavior, neglecting or losing interest in activities that do not involve the harmful substance or behavior, relationship difficulties, which often involve lashing out at people who identify the dependency, and inability to stop using a drug, though it may be causing health problems or personal problems, such as issues with employment or relationships, hiding substances or behaviors and otherwise exercising secrecy, for example, by refusing to explain injuries that occurred while under the influence, profound changes in appearance, including a noticeable abandonment of hygiene, increased risk-taking, both to access the substance or activity and while using it or engaging in it. These are symptoms of addiction. Many of you are familiar with this in different ways. Many of us are. But I want to shift our thinking for just a second. Take in those symptoms, those indicators. Now, I want you to think about three things. Overworking, overwanting, and overworrying. Overworking, overwanting, and overworrying. Now, let me just skim through this really quick. And I want you to assess American culture. I want you to assess your family culture, whatever your family is. Or you have roommates, a family you're living with, whoever it is, those closest to you. And then assess yourself. And be honest about if there's levels of addiction, symptoms of addiction, when it comes to our relationship with work, wanting, and worrying. Are those things that we uncontrollably seek? Can you put a limit on it? Can you put a cap? Do you know how to stop? Are you uncontrollably engaged in harmful levels of habit-forming behavior? I will, I will never forget, and this is actually a really deeply sad moment, when my daughter, my oldest, was about three, and I was playing with her in our playroom, and I'm looking on my phone at something stupid, who knows what. And she looks at me with these big, beautiful blue eyes that I don't know where they came from. And she goes, Daddy, please not the phone. Daddy, please not the phone. And guess what? I still spend so much time on this thing. I work on it all the time. I play on it all the time kind of sounds addictive. Neglecting or losing interest in activities that do not involve working, worrying, wanting, relationship difficulties, which often involve lashing out at people who identify the dependency, and inability to stop wanting, working, or worrying, health or relational problems due to not being able to stop wanting, working, work. Think about this. Be honest with it as you assess American culture your family culture, and just where you are at individually. I, I want to break those three things down. American culture promotes worry. At the end of the day, the reason is just very simple, because worry sells. 
Worry makes money. Just think about marketing. I've talked about it before, but as you drive home, turn on the TV, do whatever you do, pay attention. Insurance sells worry. Our education system sells worry. If you don't get your kids into the right college or if you personally don't get the right education, you have a lot to worry about. Cars are sold based on worry. If you don't have the right look or the right safety feature, the right this or that, you need to worry. Like almost everything in life in our American culture is sold based on the platform of worry. Just watch, keep your eye out for it. It's impactful. And I do not have to convince you that there are many, 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 many people deeply anxious in our American culture right now. The American dream demands work at a level that is brutally unhealthy. Now, work is good. Work is actually godly. Like, work will be a part of heaven. We have this misconception. We'll fly away and sing songs forever. It's not going to happen. We're going to work, and work is good. Work is part of God's beautiful design. But it can really easily get out of whack. The messaging is the only thing between your dream and your vision is just a little bit more work. It's just one more meeting, a little bit more effort and energy and passion. That's the American dream. Just pursue it and make it happen. Effort, work, hours, it's the only thing in between you and the goal. But have you ever stopped to think about how actually anti-gospel and anti-Jesus that is? I'm all about capitalism and markets and business. I love it. Probably too much, actually. But have you ever stopped to think about how contrary to the gospel it is when it's unhealthy? See, what the world, what our American culture communicates is that you are what you do. What's the first question? Let's actually walk through this. You meet somebody. I guarantee this has happened probably like 12 times today on this turf. You walk up, hey, how are you? Especially if you meet somebody for the first time. There's like a 90% chance they answered, I'm busy. That's a badge of honor in our culture. And then as you get to know somebody, what's the first thing? Maybe we'll call it the second thing. You find out, what do you do? Your identity is oftentimes busy because we feel good about ourselves. We're important. We have meetings, things to do. And then what do you do? You are what you do. You resonate with that? That's just not what Jesus says. Jesus says the opposite. You are not what you do. You are who Jesus says you are. You are loved not because of effort or one more meeting or good deed or or confession or whatever it might be. It actually has nothing to do with you. The gospel is simply and only the grace and gift of Jesus. But do you begin to see how those two things contrast? The, The American dream is good in so many ways. But there are some ways that it, it's formed some deeply broken habits that we struggle to get over in our embracing of the love the Father has for us. American consumerism tempts you to want endlessly. This one actually makes me laugh. As you begin to practice Sabbath, I think this next week in our, our Sabbath practice groups, we'll talk about gratitude and contentment. And I think you're going to find it really funny as you try. It's one thing to stop working. That's where our minds go. Okay, we're going to work on that. It's another to stop worrying. We struggle with that. But what about when you stop wanting? And Amazon goes, hey, check out these two new great items we found that you will like. It's scientifically proven by MIT grads. 
And then you see what the neighbor has, and you go, oh, wow, if my kids don't have those cleats, how are they going to make it in soccer? Or this piano book, or this thing, or that. Like, it's endless. And then that's like for other people, what about for yourself, things that you want? Nate, I will say this. You do need to buy some basketball shoes. I've literally seen those things just like fall off of your feet. It's time. Here's the funny thing. We want, we worry, and we work. And then what we do is we work really, really hard to go get the stuff that we want because we want it really bad. And then when we actually have the stuff that we wanted, so we worked for, we actually worry about it so much that we never enjoy it. Have you seen that happen? Like, we're not people in American culture that are known for contentment and gratitude, yet we are ridiculously rich when compared to the world's standards. We work for what we want, and then we worry about what we have. Kind of sounds like a slavery kind of addiction thing. It's fascinating. Sabbath speaks to graciously oppose. Sabbath speaks to graciously oppose the chaos that we find ourselves in the midst of and this endless treadmill we can't get off of. Because people are exhausted. Families are broken. There's this, this book called The... Uh, the Burnout Society, and it talks about how for the first time, really in the course of human history, in like the last 50 years, all of humanity is shifting. We're no longer an immunological society where our main focus is defending from intruders, although maybe all this changed with coronavirus, until the coronavirus. We're no longer immunological, defending from intruders. The actual opponent now that we have to defend against is opportunity. Look up the stats for suicide, for divorce, for overdosing. It's absurd. It's going through the roof. Why? A huge portion of it is because the American dream, your parents, our parents, say, meet your potential, teachers. Go be all that you can be. And, and here's the reality. Every single one of us has so much potential in this little device that you are destined, every one of us are destined to be unbelievable failures. Everyone, and we know it. There's so much opportunity. There's so much to learn and skill sets to learn. Like anything you want is right there. And not one of us will ever come close to meeting our potential. And that's felt because it contrasts the messaging of be all you can be. That's an issue. American culture is amazing in so many ways. And it's unhealthy and inhumane in many others. Now, I want to read you a series of, of quotes from John Mark Comer and, and Rick McKinley as we wrap up. Just soak these in, because I, th I think they're, they're powerful. Comer says, Sabbath is a way to break the addictive pattern of accomplish more, accumulate more, repeat. It's an act of defiance and rebellion against the endless, restless grind of workaholism and consumerism. Sabbath is a way to say Enough. Rick McKinley says, Sabbath is the announcement that God has given us a better way of being human. When we practice Sabbath, we invite our neighbors into the blessing of holy rest. He also says in culture, we are trying to get ahead, but Sabbath is about getting off the treadmill of striving in order to retell ourselves God's story of who we are and whose world we are living in. Can you imagine for a moment 
if we embraced this Sabbath thing for the sake of your neighbor, for the sake of your family members who aren't believers, maybe, maybe you own a company and your employees, and, and so all of a sudden, week after week after week, the people that live next to you see you delighting in what is good, and over time, they get the messaging that you believe it's only from Jesus. I promise you that'll have an impact. If you're an employer, can you, com- can you imagine if week after week, subtly, 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 you say, no, it is a priority that you and your family have a day of rest, and you explain why, because your humanity needs it, and they get to engage with their family and what is good and rest from the bad? What if you incorporated that into an organization? I promise you that's going to make a difference. What if your family members begin to see your, your immediate family do something different relationally one day a week and spend time and care and enjoy and stop worrying, stop working, and stop wanting? In a culture where those three things are endless, if we stop, it will speak. Sabbath speaks a message that our world desperately needs to hear. The funny thing is, our world knows it. They just don't know Jesus is the answer and Sabbath is the gift. May we be a people that allow Sabbath to speak through us. I want to read two last things and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. They're both slightly longer, but they're just powerful. Rick McKinley, uh, I got to spend a week with in Portland And he's just done an incredible job of just cultural analysis and assessing where we're at. His book is available in the back, by the way. He says this, There is perhaps no more prophetic thing we can do in American society than cease from producing for 24 hours once a week. In a world of 24-hour cycles and pressure to keep up our social media presence, disappearing for a whole day feels like treason to the way things are. But Sabbath is good news to those looking in from the outside. Babylon leaves everyone weary, not just the people of God. Babylon, by that he means American culture in this case. Anxiety over not having or being all that American culture tells us we should have or be produces an exhausting existence. People are tired and their children are tired. The pressure is soul-crushing. Sabbath keeping people evangelize by keeping Sabbath holy. We share good news about our good God who has given us rest in Jesus. We don't need someone to graduate from college to have a party. We get to dance and sing and feast simply because God invites us into the Sabbath party once a week. I still find it comical that we struggle to just embrace this gift. I think that really says something to how much effort Satan puts to keeping us from it, to the internal and external opposition we actually will face. Lastly, John Mark Homer says this, Sabbath is a line in the sand. This far you shall go and no further. No more work, no more stuff, no more. Enough is enough. I do not have to work more. I do not have to buy more. I do not have to sell more. I do not have to move up in the company. I do not have to earn my father's love. I don't have anything to prove why. Because you are not what you do, you are who Jesus says you are. I do not have to get a perfect score. 
I do not need another stamp on my passport. I do not need another bay in my garage. I do not need to be younger or more beautiful or have flatter abs, although, man, that would be nice, he says. I don't need to have my kids in ballet or soccer all year long. I don't need to make everybody happy. I don't need to get everything I want. There is no quota. The only slave drivers are the ones in my head. My value does not come from what I produce, and my joy and peace does not rise and fall with my net worth. Pharaoh is dead. Egypt is in the past. I am not a slave anymore. I am free. Does that sound good? Does that sound whole and right? Yet I promise you, you and I are going to struggle with that this week. So I'm thankful for the leaders and hosts and facilitators for our Sabbath groups and practices. Embrace that. Fight this fight because it's a one worth fighting. This is a gift that is good from Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for this gift. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you not only know what is best for us, but you want what is best for us and you've provided it. God, in the, the midst of a culture that is going to scream no to our embracing and accepting this, this gift of Sabbath, may you give us strength, Holy Spirit. May you lead us to let Sabbath speak, to celebrate the good that you alone can provide, to protect us from the portions of our culture that are not in line with your intent. We humbly come before you. We bow down, recognizing we are nothing. So we ask you to move and work and have your way within us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.